Hi everyone, and welcome back to The Blast Podcast, a show where we believe movies can be more than just movies. I'm your host, Steve Watts, joined as always by my co-host, Travis Bickle, and today we're going to be talking about Martin Scorsese's newest hit, kind of, the three and a half hour long epic, Killers of the Flower Moon. Before we talk about what we watched this week, let's hear a word from our sponsor. As always, the Blast Podcast is presented by the Blast app, which is going to be available sooner than you may realize. Make sure you're following our Instagram page at Blast underscore movies underscore, our TikTok at Blast.movies, and our YouTube channel at Blast.movies to stay up to date on all of our latest content. There you'll find podcast clips, movie ticket reviews from Ty and myself, and up-to-date news on the progress of the app. Lastly, please make sure to check out our app's landing page at Blastmovies.net where you can learn more about what Blast is going to be. All right, Ty. What what's what's been on the movie list? <laughs> aside from kill, aside from killers, right? I wish that uh, you know the audience could see my Google notes of movies I've watched this week, but it's just the emoji of the the face going. I haven't watched anything this week. It's been an absolute gauntlet between driving, flying, and working. I've just I was telling you before the pod, I've had about like seven minutes to myself in the last five days, but I am so pumped to talk killers because I did find time in Huntsville, Alabama at the end of my work shift, got some dinner and ripped a three and a half hour movie and I am fired up to talk about it. Awesome. Um, my list starts with the end of the Friday the 13th trilogy or er, uh, franchise, so Started the week off with Jason Goes to Hell the final Friday, which, again, is not the final Friday. Um, And then Jason X, which is finally the one where he goes to space. And Friday the 13th, 2009, which is the remake. Um, Quick list order here of my rankings from best to worst. I've got 6, 4, 1, 10, 3, Freddy vs. Jason, uh, 7, and then 8, 2 nine uh what is this one jesus dude (laughs) five and then the remake that is one of the messiest franchises i've ever sat through um it was it was a journey (laughs) why you sit through shit like this is beyond me i could never could never it's it's quick and digestible (laughs) um okay follow that up with a much better franchise halloween Watched the original 1978, awesome. Um, watched Halloween 2, which I think I've only seen once throughout the years, and I, I'm kind of a fan, kind of not. It kind of sidelines Laurie a little too much uh, for my liking. And then Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, which is the like completely unrelated one, um, which I had a better time with this time now that I'm like kind of a John Carpenter fiend, I guess. <laughs> you, I, It's funny. I, I know you're not on Instagram anymore, but I wanted to send it to you. Criterion dropped a clip from In the Mouth of Madness today. I was all really? geeked about it. Yeah, I saw maybe they're streaming it now. I'll tell you what. The next time I come down to Milwaukee, we're watching that. Just And as soon as it ends, you're going to say, let's restart it. We're going to roll it back and watch it twice. I don't doubt it, but there's going to be like behind-the-scenes footage of us watching it, and you're going to have me like duct tape to a chair. Because trying to get me to watch a movie is... Clockwork Orange. (laughs) 
there's there's gonna be behind the scenes footage of of producer Jack running to and from the kitchen every. <laughs> oh, uh, <God>. Run. <laughs> Just got the noise canceling headphones on, so he can't even hear it. Um, <laughs> anyways, my parents went to um, Salem last week. And so they got home um, last weekend and we watched The Crucible because that's like all about the Salem Witch Trials, as I'm sure you know. Did you have to read that one for school or no? If I did. Long, long gone somewhere in the brain. Fair enough. Uh, It was an okay movie. Um, Probably, I I, I never had to read it either, but I'm assuming the play is a little bit better. Um, Followed that up with The Craft. Have you ever seen The Craft? No. This is like prime Nev Campbell just being weird in the 90s. Um, no way. <laughs> it's about four witches. Um, it's also got the girl from The Mentalist. Have you ever seen that show? Uh-uh. Well, it's like four witches in high school basically just like wreaking havoc on their class. It's it's It was a fun watch. Um, <laughs> okay. I feel bad that I didn't have any movie watches. I was planning on ripping one on my plane ride home, but... Yeah, that's a whole other shit show I don't feel like getting into, but there was no Wi-Fi on the plane, so I couldn't even stream one. But Ugh. on my flight to Huntsville on Tuesday, um, they did have free Apple TV, so I was mm-hmm. able to watch the first episode of season two of The Morning Show. I know it's not a movie, but there are a couple like blast shows, in my opinion. Season one of The Morning Show was one of those for me. And I have to say, I only got like 20 minutes into this first episode, wasn't a fan. Maybe it's just, I always have a hard time getting into shows, but ah, I wasn't loving it. I've heard it went like disgustingly downhill after season Ah. one. Like season one was the story they wanted to tell and season two is Apple capitalizing on it. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it. Oh, well. Billy Kudrup is kind of mailing it in this season. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, rounded out my week uh, with Trick or Treat. I watched this with AJ. Do you, have you seen this one? No, I haven't. Isn't oh, this like man. a recent? This is a recent release, like a couple years, like '07, I think, maybe oh, early 2000s. Not. I want to say. Um, I was thinking. I was thinking of Ready or Not. Ah, uh, yeah, that's another good one though. And then yesterday, I watched Sleepy Hollow, which was awesome. I've been waiting to talk about this movie though. Um, I watched this early in the week. This movie is called Little Fish, and I texted you about it. I. If you want to pull up the text conversation that we had during it, because this is one of the most like religious watch experiences I think I've had in my entire life. This is about basically like if COVID was Alzheimer's, and so everybody's just forgetting like what they do, who they are, the people around them, and it's it, it's centered around these this couple, and you see one of them has has the disease and you get to just watch him slowly forget his wife as as his wife is trying to save him and oh my god i was like audibly sobbing for 30 minutes during this movie in the first 15 minutes one of the characters is a vet and she has to put down a dog that is the most like it's just the cutest dog ever it's got the most expressive sad eyes and i was already like just ready to go and pretty much for the rest of the movie i was just gone just sobbing (laughs) and you were telling me that again i don't have my phone but i vividly remember 
this is also considered a Thai movie because it's it's a pretty short runtime as well, right? It is, yes. Um, It's also a Thai movie because it would pass my depression on to you. Um. (laughs) When I was reading the synopsis on Letterboxd, I knew within like two sentences, like, yep, I'm toast. This is not going to work. A lot of push-ups after this one. Um, so what do you think I did after, after that watch experience? Well, hopefully you jumped on the blast app and created a movie ticket, but, but no, what, what did you do? The next day I watched it again. Stop it. And it got even better. Oh my God. This is in my top 10 of all time. I think Olivia cook is literally the next like Natalie Portman. She's fucking amazing. And Oh my god, dude! It was, Whoa. it was amazing. Just a phenomenal movie. I really recommend you all check it out. It's okay. crazy. And this is one you streamed, right? Yeah, it's on Hulu. Okay, is this like a rare, like A plus A, like blast grade for a movie that you yes. like had streamed? Wow. Yes. Wow. All right. I mean, again, I don't know if I'm in the mental state to watch this right now, but. <laughs> We'll add it to the list of like 49 movies that I say I'll get to, but we'll never get to. I'm going to get you to queue it up on Valentine's Day and never hear from you again. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, one, one pull up for every tear shedded. <laughs> Jesus, don't feel. Um, all right. I'm, that's, that's my week. I watched, I think, like 14 movies. It was an eventful one for me, but... I want to hear about your theater experience for um, Killers of the Flower Moon because I think that we're going to disagree on this movie. Yeah, I have a feeling. And I've got the gloves ready, but don't you worry. You know, I, I we'll get there. For now, my story with Killers of the Flower Moon. So I mentioned, you know, when the pod started that I was in Huntsville this week for, for work. So I flew out Tuesday night. I didn't get in until like 1230. That don't feel like going down that rabbit hole, but just a complete disaster of just no time for myself. Wednesday, I wake up like 637, get to the office and I'm there all day working on stuff. I I get off around like five o'clock. I grab a quick dinner. I get back to the hotel. I'm like, all right, surely I can fit a gym, a gym session in here at the hotel because I'm insane and I need to get it done. So I work out for like an hour running to Mission Impossible music. Um, just get a good, good, good sweat in, uh, quickly shower, get dressed and have to drive 20 minutes to a movie theater in a mall in Huntsville, Alabama, because there's no other theater in sight that's showing this movie. Um, so I go see it, but apparently it's like, it wasn't called IMAX. It was like this Cinemark version of IMAX. I don't know what it was, but regardless, I get to the theater. It is gorgeous on the inside. It's a massive venue. Um, I don't know. I was just kind of floored. It felt like and it, it's always an experience, but it felt like I was leaving, leaving Earth, walking wow. into this into wow. this theater. So it got me back into the zone after a crazy work day, crazy workout day. So I show up into the theater, and again, it's supposed to be an IMAX screen, right? Walk in, it is. It's a huge ass screen, but maybe forty seats. It's three rows of 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 seats that's it uh, um very this is int- sounding real quick this is sounding like the theater i saw past lives in with jake okay 
Yeah, but I've never seen a setup like this. I kind of liked it. It felt intimate, but like designed for dorks like you and me. So <laughs> I wasn't complaining. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just kind of locked me in for this experience. And I think saying anything else about the movie would kind of taint uh, the, I guess, review part. All I will say is there were a couple moments where uh, the two ladies in front of me kept going, oh my god no he no he no he didn't no he didn't and they they were well deserved so i I couldn't even get upset so there there were a lot of moments like that but it was a good time you know if i had that theater experience maybe i would have liked the movie more than i do um and i think that's an important part of blast is that the theater experience impacts your feelings on the movie so much i obviously this is a three and a half hour movie I don't have four hours to kill at night most times, and so I went to this at 2 o'clock on $5 Tuesday with, uh, let's just say, the senior crowd. <laughs> the the Marty Scorsese crowd. And um, guess what? Different theater, broken projector, again. <laughs> um, didn't get to see any of the trailers. Only audio was playing through all of them, uh, which was un- unreal. And... I will say, this theater, I'm just going to say it, it's Kendall 11, they did a great job. A guy came in to make sure everything was running before the movie started and got it on track while the trailers were finishing up. So that was nice. <laughs> a little bit better than uh, the other theater's issues from last last go-around. Yes, and for those of you who <laughs> aren't too uh, familiar with me, I sent Ty a screenshot today. I got a report from Rocket Money of... You've spent the most money this this month at Kendall 11, and <laughs> this is just kind of humbling for me to see. Shocker. Shocker. Uh, um, and I don't get concessions, so <laughs> it's just a lot of movies. Anyways, um, the the people in, in the theater were complaining that the movie was too loud during the trailers, and so they complained, and I think they did get it to turn down the volume. Was this, like, an absurdly quiet movie, or did they actually turn down the volume? I think they turned down the volume. I had no okay. issues in my theater. Okay. Um, so, also, while the trailers were out, these, these people were complaining about, oh, they robbed us for $5. <laughs> what? Dude... <laughs> Buddy, I just spent 27 on a pre-order of FNAF tickets, all right? <laughs> Come on. Um, it, it was crazy. Um, then, I'm the, the trailers are wrapping up, the, the projector's working and everything, and I start hearing this, this, I'm uh, coming from the right of me, and I'm like, what the fuck? I look over, this woman is flossing her teeth. <laughs> and continues to floss her teeth the entire fucking movie oh my god i was gonna lose my mind and she she must have had a lot of plaque to work through the whole movie that's that's three and a half hours how are her gums not on fire gingivitis easily dude i couldn't believe it it's like do you remember when cam newton did it on the sideline i was like where am i what's happening then this is this is made even worse. The seasonal depression has been hitting me lately, and I had an anxiety attack through I think the first two hours of this movie. Oh. And this is like not a movie you want to have an anxiety attack through. 
and this has happened a couple of other times like i just go to a movie on a bad day but the most recent example of it is across the spider-verse and across the spider-verse just snapped me right out of it and that's like another reason why i don't love this movie as much Um, yeah there's not a whole lot of feel-good moments in this one that's for sure yes and to end this off (laughs) with probably 10 minutes left in the movie it's i think it was during the courtroom scene uh with no spoilers there is this guy in the front row that goes uh yeah yeah i think i'm almost done here (laughs) yeah i'll be out in a few minutes i'll talk to you then oh yeah it's pretty good i like it all right see you in a few bye (laughs) mid mid movie he takes a call just yes like yelling over the speakers to talk on it the lady in front of me whispers to her husband is is he actually like on the phone right now oh my god i would have lost my mind it was an absurdly bad theater experience and this leads me straight into i just didn't really like this movie and it's a shame because I, I went I went in really wanting to like it. Um, obviously, Scorsese is a great filmmaker. Most of the stories he tells usually don't necessarily hit me. Um, my favorite of his movies is still probably either yeah probably The Departed, which like wow. is a disservice to say to him. But I just don't really identify with the types of stories he tells, and so. I went into this with an intriguing premise. I really wanted to like it, and I think the theater experience really tainted it for me, but I also have a lot of gripes. Okay, and, you know, you were telling me this after your theater experience. You you called me, and a lot of, like, your your comments without really saying it were, yeah, I, I did not love this movie. So I went into the theater expecting, like, okay, like, maybe it'll be fine, maybe, like, like, I had a feeling that you saw The Irishman and were like, yeah, this is not for me. And I happened to like that one. So I was like, all right, I... Didn't be... watch it. Stop. No way. Like I say, like, that premise just doesn't really intrigue me. And as gifted as a filmmaker as Scorsese is, it's just not, like, that's not my type of story, you know? Wow, this is so out of left field from you. I feel like that's... Either way, all right. I guess that's to my point, though. Is like I think I do lean a little bit heavier on Marty than than you might. So I did like this movie, and I don't have nearly as many gripes. And a lot of the shots that you were texting me about it, you know, I I don't know. I came prepared. I've got I've got the boxing gloves. I've got I've got my gallon of water. Like I'm oh Jesus. I'm I'm ready to go, man. Like let's let's talk about killers. So I I guess my first thing is I I got the message straight away as soon as do you see the wolves in this picture I don't think you can get more straightforward than that um I, I I got the message right away and then I think that made me feel like the rest of like the three hours were kind of just driving home the same point over and over again and I, maybe that's not most people's experience and maybe I just like had a bad day again but for me a lot about a lot of 
the movies I like are because it takes me the whole movie to put together what they're trying to say. And then when I finally do at the end and there's some big moment, then I feel rewarded for that. Mm, interesting. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, I didn't read the book, so I can't speak to how the, uh, the story unravels that way, but I'm not saying that I disagree because to your point, I feel like I understood what was happening like very early on and was just watching the experience for an extra two and a half hours. But I think I'm okay with that. I I didn't love the runtime, but I didn't mind the way the story unfolded. I think it felt, I didn't feel like any dramatization around it. It felt more authentic. I think the patience respects the, the horror that is this story. And I think that's what I'll, I'll keep coming back to is, the respect for not only the source material, but the history itself. That's a fair point. Um, do you want to talk about the runtime real quick then? Yeah, I got to tell you, I I hate when you text me during movies. It really bugs me. Yeah. Um, I hate being on my phone. I always power it down. But another thing that you know, I will make sure I never do, unless it really gets to a, a point, is even check my watch. I, I, mm. I won't do it. I feel like I'm disrespecting... Uh, the filmmakers i caught myself checking it i think six seven times that last hour was yeah it was grueling that's that's kind of how i felt too and i will say sorry i texted you during the movie that was on a quick bathroom break um i was not in the theater or anything i was just making a quick run still mid-anxiety attack (laughs) but i i I agree with you, the last hour dragged, but I think the last hour is also probably the strongest of the film, and I think that maybe this is better with, like, the first hour condensed to maybe 15 minutes. Yeah, I know, but that that's what... I, I had a feeling you were going to say that, and, like, I don't know if this is me just, like, glazing Marty here, but I, I understand why... He, the runtime is as long as it is. I feel like yeah. trying to make this a two-hour story and condense the story to make it, I don't know, a little bit, a little bit smoother. Um, I, I guess more digestible for a larger audience is counterintuitive to what I believe is a point that you're going to make later um, about it. Not, I, I don't know. I, I just, I feel like it's a little counterintuitive from from your side. Okay, interesting. I I think that this also could have worked if he made it longer and made it like a four-part miniseries. I think that's okay. just as fine. Yeah, it, that's why I'm so torn, is I think this movie is probably better if it's two and a half hours instead of three and a half, but I think what it also cut? makes a great limited series. Right. Um, I don't know if it's a matter of cutting it. I just think, well, the ending... Um, the ending like monologue cameo scene whatever you want to call like his uh asteroid city moment is what i'm gonna keep calling it but i don't know i just think it's the structure in which the story is told is the reason it's as long as it is i don't think that you you cut anything i don't know yeah and I want to say I watched a ton of reviews on this when I got home and everybody was saying, oh my God, I didn't, I felt like it was two and a half hours. I felt like it was two hours. I didn't feel the time at all. And I was like, 
I, like I get, I was having a panic attack during this movie and that made it feel longer. But at the same time, this is three and a half hours. There's no way that there weren't some dull moments. And there definitely were because once that passed and it was in the final hour or two, then I was checking my watch just as much as you were. Yeah. But okay. I was checking my watch. Yes. But that isn't to say I wasn't riveted the last hour. Or so I would say this movie has a similar, like, sit up in your chair oh this is kind of awesome like pivot in the third act similar to oppenheimer where it like switches to a courtroom scene the fbi starts to get involved and i felt like i was more engaged so yes the runtime is long but there was a lot a lot of great moments throughout where i felt like i became more locked in but to your point there are there are it does feel slow i don't think that uh, it it just i think it justifies its existence i I'm okay with the runtime because I think this story needed to be told in a long, methodical way and not in a, how does this make this, how, how do we make this as appealing as possible to a large audience? Okay. That's okay. We're going to really get into it later. Um, (laughs) I also wanted to ask then about Brendan Fraser's performance in this because this is like like so divisive. It's literally, I have seen uh people saying like that brendan fraser's seven minutes are the only seven minutes worth watching and other people saying that brendan fraser gave like the worst performance of the year whoa okay well first off performance aside i honestly forgot he was in the movie so when he when he pops up like an avenger um halfway (laughs) halfway through the movie i started to smile like it was a cool moment i thought it was good i I thought thought he was was fine i didn't think he was great or bad i thought he was just kind of doing his thing in the middle yeah and i would call him one of those that guys i couldn't tell you his name but the opposing lawyer that like plays the typical dad oh john lithgow yeah i it was nice to see him as well yeah it's been a while since i've seen him in really anything besides like daddy's home too i think there was also a moment during one of uh like the ceremonies for the newborns that you see uh matt murdoch's like uh side character or like partner in at his law firm god what is his name he's got long hair did you watch the daredevil series i did not oh god jake is gonna kill me but uh (laughs) his his partner in the daredevil series has like a brief 20 second cameo in this movie that was another one for me that i enjoyed fair i wanted to ask then about the performances in general um i thought they were good but being overrated right now um like i don't know uh i I don't know you take it away first i guess all right a lot to unpack so we'll start out with what i think you're gonna go with and that's gladstone uh she plays the main she plays leo's wife in this movie um she plays molly and i think she was very good but to say that she's like a mortal lock to win um female performance of the year at the oscars i just i don't see that thank god i think that she is an absolute nominee for sure but i think it's way too early to say that she's a lock for it i thought her her performance had a lot of subtlety which is something i i definitely admire um but i think there were moments where she was maybe a little too subtle and it came across as just deadpan to me and maybe that's just again me being stupid (laughs) yeah i think i think it was just you i really did appreciate that there wasn't too much again like 
the story and the way it's portrayed felt genuine. I I, I liked. Fair. I, I liked the acting with no acting. It was like a, a Gosling thing almost from Gladstone. Leo is in a completely different fucking movie though because he is hamming it up at times in this. <laughs> yeah, he is. And but I will say I we've gotten to this weird spot with Leo where he's no longer like I feel like he's almost becoming underrated that he's so good at what he does that we hold him to his own standard. It's like a Brady thing. Like I can't I can't figure it out, but like I think a lot of people leave him out of their top 5 like actors of all time and i'm not sure why like is it because he's not hot anymore i i, don't I think get it's it. partially recency bias I, I think the last movie he did before this was once upon a time right or am i missing some no that was it and he's i think he's oh no don't look up okay yeah so it's been like two years then and i, I don't know he's kind of cooled down quite a bit also in this movie he was literally just like the dead frown emoji the entire time just the did you notice that <laughs> yeah do you think he had like a prosthetic or do you think he was pulling that off it was like a brando thing dude he's gonna get wrinkles from it like <laughs> that was crazy he was holding that he was holding that face for like the entire three and a half hours i know like Wait. shooting wise that has to be like 75 days of just yep well there's that and then there's the the classic bob de niro stern look with that big with that big beak of his I will tell you, though, it makes me so happy that old man Bob De Niro can still turn it on. I He was my favorite performance in the movie. It's nice to see that he still got it. He was good, yeah. My favorite performance was from a supporting actress, and that is the mom. I thought Lily Gladstone's mom's character was awesome, and I think she really, like, she blew me out of the water this in a similar way to the grandma in Minari. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's high praise. I thought she was great as well. I felt like everyone did their job. It, like, again, I feel like there's a ton of praise saying, you know, best acting of the year, like top to bottom. I, I'm not convinced, but I thought everyone did a great job. I, I want to ask you this just right now. Do you think this is the best movie of the year? No. Thank God. Okay. No, but I will tell you, it's probably going to be my second, probably third favorite of the year. I think it was better than Oppenheimer. Okay. That's a fair take. Um, and I want to talk about Oppenheimer a little bit later. I, I Do you have anything else to say about the movie? I, I think the music in this was horrendous, by the way. I, I hated Why? the music in it. It was, was just wrong? the same like six notes played over and over again at different times. And I, I think it was Stuckman said like, yeah, like there were some times where I was starting to fade. And then that, that boom, boom, boom just brought me straight back in. And I was like, Chris, what? <laughs> I know I'm beating a dead horse with this, but I like that. it There wasn't like a super dramatic score here. Like it would have felt inappropriate for like a powerful Ludwig Gorenson score here. I, I, I don't I agree. see the purpose of it. I think that there's room for a softer score, though, that's maybe just a little more... has, Because when you're going into a movie that's three and a half hours long, I get fucking sick of um, just hearing those same notes over and over. In, uh, what's his name? In Mike Flanagan's first movie that I watched last week, he did the same thing. And I got sick of that in an hour and a half. Yeah, I don't know. I just disagree. I, I think the... We're going to keep coming back to this, but I, I like the way the story is told. 
and okay. th- th- from a technical sound or technical standpoint, I'm okay with all the choices Marty made. I do have a question for you. Mm-hmm. There is a weird thing that happens throughout the movie where the audio kind of like cuts out for a couple seconds. Did you ever catch that, or was your oh my god, was your theater too quiet? I think it was. Yeah. Oh, that's so disappointing. I want to know if it was like a an actual choice or if my theater was was <laughs> off. I, there's no way. It happened too frequently um, and like in the perfect moments. But um, there's a scene where a particular character dies and the audio cuts out and it signals that they're dead. And it happens a couple times throughout the story, but not just when people die. So I think I maybe noticed that once, but I'm, I'm not sure. It really was pretty quiet for me. <laughs> oh, I'm so disappointed. I was ready for you to have like notes on notes for what that meant, what Marty was trying to do. So, yeah, and I'm sorry to keep bringing it back, but the runtime again, like I had a terrible theater experience with this and that absolutely affected my opinion of this film. And I missed those things that you're talking about right now. But since it's three and a half hours long, I am never going to revisit this. It's it, and it's not just a three and a half hours long. It is a three and a half hour long, miserable watch, whether you like it or not. It is just so it's like the the saddest parts of Manchester by the Sea just over and over and over and over and over again without the over the top. <laughs> yeah, it's again, I liked it, but there were a couple times where I I felt so uncomfortable I, I wanted to leave. Like I wanted to get up. I knew that I knew the story wasn't going to get any any redeeming moment, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. It's just it's 3 and a half hours of complete buzzkill seeing America and seeing white people at well, <laughs> Maybe not at their worst, but at a pretty fucking awful uh, stance. It's it's gross to watch. And it, we're diving kind of into spoilers a little bit, but this is a like historical event that people should know about. Um, I, I, did you have to read about it for school? No, and I, I hope that we're going down this path of why this matters is that what we're going i I was just gonna say it should be required in school i think that i learned about it just on my own time uh researching outside of school because i'm a freak and i the story is definitely deserves to be told and the ending fucking sucks and nothing has changed to this day for the most part like yeah it's it's gross and it's very eye opening. But at, you know, I think we're at an age where you watch a movie like this and it's you're not even surprised. Um, and I think that's a testament to other stories that have been told. And I think social media kind of blowing up the truth of America's history. Because if you think when we were going through school, I mean, the whole time I was watching this movie. If for people listening that haven't seen Killers of the Flower Moon or don't know the story. Um, I mean, it's essentially explaining how white America wiped out the natives and their ultimate scheme of infiltrating these families and taking them out. Um, That's kind of the premise of the movie, and it's gross. And to clarify further, the Native Americans in this movie have basically a ton of money because the land that they were essentially displaced to ended up having oil. Um, And so now the they all get paid for it and they pretty much don't have to work jobs it seems like throughout this movie yeah for the the guys the 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 white the white males in this story they all have the same agenda find native woman marry her 
use all of her money, not work, and eventually um, take over that that money that they've inherited from their new family. Now, I guess to my point, it, like going through school, you know, you watch a movie like this and it makes you roll your eyes at almost a decade plus of education lying to you about what really happened. I mean, the first thing you're taught at like age six or seven is, you know, Thanksgiving is like this big kumbaya between, you know, the Europeans that came over and the natives. And it's like this one big happy family that that's not really what happened. And not really. (laughs) Yeah, it's just not. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's really sad. And this movie is three and a half hours of shining a, a very bright light on that. Yes, and um, I, I guess I want to... Do you have anything to say about this movie in particular right now? Uh, I don't know. I think we're I think we're covering all the right beats. Okay, because I, I want to dive into this, this passion project trend that it feels like we've been talking about more and more on this podcast lately um, with most recently The Fall of the House of Usher, but also stuff like Bo is Afraid. Uh, like, basically... I think that going into these movies, if if you don't like the director, you're not going to like the movie. And I, like I said before, I have a ton of respect for Scorsese. I think he's a great director, but he's just not really my cup of tea. And for that reason, I think that's a, another why for why I didn't like this movie. Um, and I think that if Scorsese's name isn't attached to this, this might be a hot take. I think if Scorsese's name isn't attached to this, maybe it's who's like a bad director out there. Elizabeth Banks. <laughs> David Gordon Green. Yeah. If David Gordon Green makes this movie, I think people would come out of it saying it's mid or it's good, but not great. And even if it's the exact same movie. And I think the same exact thing if Ari Aster's name isn't attached to Bo is Afraid. I think the same thing if Damien Chazelle's name isn't attached to Babylon. I don't want to take shots at Spielberg right now. Um, (laughs) But The Fablemans, I have no interest in seeing. And I can only imagine what people would do to that movie. I, and I'm no better than this either. Like, Robert Eggers goes and does his project, or passion project, The Northman. I love Robert Eggers. I love that movie with all my heart. Same thing can even be said about David Lowry and The Green Knight, I think. That that felt like a passion project, maybe even a ghost story was. And Nolan, I, it's kind of a split between Oppenheimer and Tenet, but I think both of those are his passion projects right now. I love them both because I'm a huge Chris Nolan fan. So I've, I've never been like a Scorsese, like just praiser, I guess, but maybe that's why this movie also didn't really hit all the right beats for me maybe i i don't know i want to keep this passion project discussion kind of focused on killers and i i think we're going down this i think one thing that you brought up was this movie may it probably wouldn't be well received if it's made by a different director i think you're right but i also think that um it it wouldn't get as much of a reach you know we just spent the last 10 minutes talking about the importance of this movie and like bringing awareness to the really shitty side of America's history. And I think you need a powerhouse like Scorsese to bring as much reach to this movie as possible. 
my question is how much reach does it bring because when I, we i have the answer wh- real quick the answer to this. when we talk about tenet and oppenheimer we know that all the film bros are going to go watch it when we talk about um chazelle's babylon we know it, the, all the cinephiles who loved first man that much are going to go and see that movie but scorsese has a certain audience i think that is kind of attached to his name because i know that out of my friends right now that are not like very into movies like you are no nobody really cares about scorsese's name and right but at the end of the day steve like this movie on opening weekend is going to bring in 20 30 million and if it if it underperforms it's going to make 100 million that that covers a very large that's a blockbuster and but it loses money then if it if it doesn't get to 100 if it th- i'm saying in a bad in a bad run it makes 100 million i'm i'm not talking about profit i'm talking yeah. about reach how okay. many how many people can this touch like you talk about talk about a movie like like Fruitvale Station it makes 17 million dollars you know that movie came out in what 2013 so the average ticket price is probably like 8 bucks so that's reaching what 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 what's the number here? It's just over two million people. If you do the math on it, that's that's its that's its entire theatrical run. It touches two million people. A very disturbing story that needs to be told. Right. K- Killers of the Flower Moon. Direct. Hey, let me let me let me finish my tangent. Here. You cut me off first. <laughs> Scorsese, established director. I know where you're going to go with this. Marty is already established with Killers. So. This movie's projected to hit twenty to thirty million bucks in the fir- and just the opening weekend. So it's gonna reach more people than Fruitvale did in one weekend. But also what plays into that is who it's reaching. And that's what I was trying to say is the Scorsese name doesn't really impact our generation as much. And the Scorsese name does impact the older generations a lot more. That that will draw them into the theaters or the big cinephiles like you and me. But is this movie going to impact those those older people who are essentially living in a world that is constantly changing right now? Like, I, I don't know if this movie is made by the right director to reach the right people. Yeah, but... I think with a different director, it doesn't. It, it this just this doesn't get made. One and two. It does get made because Scorsese could produce it. Like that's that's I guess my biggest thing is I think Scorsese should have produced this movie for an indigenous director to tell their own story. But it it doesn't touch a hundred million dollars worth of people. That's what I get. That you're saying the target audience, like maybe. But again, I, I don't know if it draws enough people. But even if it doesn't, and and this is what I wanted to say, I also brought some math here. So if if you look at one of my favorite movies of all time, it's also, it also has themes centered around displaced peoples. This is Beasts of the Southern Wild. It's had a budget of $1.5 million, and I'm not sure what it returned at the box office, but it was a lot. It won a, I think it was up for four Oscars, got a ton of buzz. But... That's $1.5 million. With the money that was used to make Killers of the Flower Moon, that is 133 Beasts of the Southern Wild. And so maybe this story doesn't reach as many people, but 
this story, like we've said, is so important to tell, but there are so many stories out there that are also just as important to tell. So in an ideal world, and obviously this isn't an ideal world, but in an ideal world, Scorsese produces this, and that maybe opens the door for more indigenous directors to tell their own stories, and more of this money, this $200 million that gets sunk into this movie, that will lose money, I don't, I am positive of this then maybe more a hundred plus of these stories can be told and i think that the the value of this budget comes from the performers the director and that's and the cinematographer who is also very well revered i'm trying to remember her name but i'm blanking right now but if you take that away and do something like Beast of the Southern Wild did, which takes actors just straight from the community and sometimes and finds those people who also have not had a chance to, to show their, their worth on the big screen, then I, I just think that this is more successful in, in its goal of telling indigenous stories. It's, it's a noble outlook. I just don't know if it's, it's practical in the world and, in frankly just the capitalistic society that we we come up on like i'm like beast of the southern wild one of your favorites i haven't heard of it nor have i seen it like the director is who uh something zietlin yeah ben zietlin yeah like you know who is that like i don't know if there's a draw there like how do you attract someone like me to a movie like that by winning awards and it did and that's the thing and there is also a growing kind of love, it seems, for these smaller stories. Past Lives is one of the biggest hits of the year. And that is such a small story made by a small-ish budget, like $15 million, I think, and a small director. And I, I think that there is still power in, in smaller cinema and maybe more than you're, than you're recognizing. I, I think we're... I think these things kind of need to be separate. Like you, I don't think this this story can be told on you know a two million dollar budget. It needs to be a grand masterpiece. So I guess you could you could push Marty to fund it, but I mean that's it's just not that's just not how this thing works. I I think that those like well crafted small love stories or intimate stories that's its own beast, and I think we're aligned on that side. But like a big grand historical story i I think that it does need some some firepower to get it off the ground then uh, what you just said is exactly what i think then marty should fund it himself if this is truly a passion project and i think that this goes for all these filmmakers making passion projects marty has had how many years to take advantage of that capitalist society like you said and make as much money as he as he wants you telling me he can't call up leo and say hey bud you want to make one more run like, if, if Scorsese self-funds this movie, if Astor self-funds Bo is Afraid, if Chazelle self-funds Babylon, then I have no issue with it. But when you make a $200 million movie that you know is going to bring back probably, I think, the max on this is around 150 mil, then I, I don't see how that helps the industry at all. And it helps that story be told to, I guess, a... a, a f- more people but not as many as you would think in the grand scheme of the country then i I don't know i it just we're not going anywhere but it's just like it 
that is kind of contradictory. Like it's reaching people, but your argument is that it's not making enough money to justify it seeing that many people, which is the opposite of what we're talking about, I think. No, I'm saying that the story needs to be seen by people, but other stories also deserve that chance. And that yes. this mon- this this project, I think, takes a disproportionate amount of money away from those other stories that could be told with it. I All guess right. that's my only argument. And I honestly don't think we disagree too much here, um, but uh, it's just like a differing philosophy thing, maybe. Totally, totally. That's all it comes down to. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's I- idealism versus unfortunate realism yeah. and trying to be practical about it. That's all. Um, I, I do have one more jab to throw at this movie, though, before we move on. Of course. I hated the true crime commentary in this. <laughs> like what? The, at, at the end of the movie where, and spoilers, I guess, for people watching, but this is, like, revealed at the end to just be marty like performing this story on stage Um, i i I hated that i thought it was half-baked and just a let me get on the big screen one more time the it's it's kind of also the same thing i think that that particular like scene was trying to show like a oh well you like people get so much joy out of um, these stories, these true crime stories, essentially, without realizing how like horrible they are, and I think the movie does a great job at showing how t- horrible those things that happen are. But it, then why are you like I, it? It just didn't work for me. I don't. I actually agree. I actually agree with you. It undermines the severity of the story. Yeah. I think. I. I. I, I don't know. I, I. I'm aligned there. It. It was kind of cheesy there are a couple moments again your volume was quiet where uh, marty plays like a, he must be like a an off-camera like photo technician in the movie because mm-hmm. um you hear his voice a couple times and that would have been a cool like cameo just in, a, in of its own thing but having him do his whole like asteroid city bit i wasn't a big fan of yeah I'm, that works for wes anderson's uh, asteroid city because that is like the whole structure of the movie Right. I, I, I don't know. Um, are, glad, glad we could glad we could agree. Right, right, right after that tangent. Let's yeah. Move on. Um, okay. I I wanted to end this pod off with our top five favorite passion projects from throughout history, and this should be a fun list. I think um, I've got a lot of recent hits on here because they're being made so much more. It feels like. Um, do you want to go first, or do you want me to? You you jump in. All right. Coming in at number five is a movie that's third act frustrates me quite a bit, but I still have so much respect for it. That's Nope from Jordan Peele. Um, I think it is still the third on my list of his movies, but I I do really like some of the things he does in that movie. Um, at number four, I have Robert Eggers' The Northman, which I talked about before. I don't know if you know this, Ty, but I come from Viking descent, and so I like grew up reading about them and just being geeked, and it's unlocked a part of me that I didn't know I needed. Um, at number three, I have Christopher Nolan's Tenet. That is my favorite of his movies, but again, I am just a Nolan fanboy. Um, number two, I have Rocky, which would be number one on this list if if it wasn't obvious um that number one is Zack snyder's justice league i can't lie i'm upset that rocky slipped my radar i just i'm not a big fan of the first one so Mm -hmm. i i it wasn't fair of me to put it on my list that's fair but at at five 
Um, just a great time. I also have The Northman on my list. I really enjoy this movie. I think it's my favorite revenge tale since Django. And I'm very glad that you said that this is our top five favorite passion projects because I spent an hour falling in love with Killers of the Flower Moon and saying that it's better than Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have as much fun with this one, clearly. So Oppenheimer, which I believe to be Nolan's actual passion project film, to be at my four spot. Fair. At my three spot. A a movie, and again, I don't think you've actually seen this one. So I, I don't really want any chime from you, but I think encapsulates why I love movies so much and the art of making movies. And I have Babylon at my three spot. At my two spot, I don't know if this counts, but... Revenge of the Sith. This is the movie that all Star Wars fans and I believe even George Lucas say like, well, this is the story I wanted to tell. Can I, does the final four episodes of the Clone Wars count as a passion project? Because that Dude, feels I was, like it. I, I was going to put that. I was going to put that. Also, uh, our producer just chatted to us that his passion project is the town. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you guys don't know, our our producer has only seen one movie in his entire life, and it's the town. God, we we we'll do a whole pod breakdown of his like criteria for what constitutes as a as a good movie, and I think like half of them come from the town. So <laughs> stay tuned for that. I digress though. At my one spot, um, I also have Zack Snyder's Justice League, not just because it's a great movie, but because of how much it means to me and how much it helped me get through dark times. Yep. I, oh man, I, I love it so much. I wish I would have thought of Revenge of the Sith. I didn't really think of that as a passion project, but even A New Hope would work there too. I don't know. That's what I was going to put. I thought you were going to come back, like Star Wars nerd me out and say, no, Revenge of the Sith doesn't count. You, 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 the original is the, the, the true passion project. Is that what you hear so. when I talk? <laughs> a little bit. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, dude, I, you know what? It makes me, like, I think people would make the argument that, you know, these aren't passion projects from George Lucas, but, like, give me a break. The guy, like, incorporated politics and a bunch of bullshit that didn't need to be there. Like, he clearly made the movie he wanted to make and for all the good and all the bad. Dude, have you seen They Live yet? Is that the Carpenter like B movie? Yeah. No, I haven't. I was listening to the rewatchables on it, and I never knew this, but apparently he made it to hopefully sway. It was released seven days before election day. He was hoping to sway votes away from the Republican Party. What? Yeah, it's absurd. He like hated Ronald Reagan, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that we could pull up memes from like like on the on the video feed. Because, like, three years ago, someone sent me, like, a Spongebob Ronald Reagan meme like, <laughs> making fun of him, like, just torching uh, Latin America. It's 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 terrible, but it's hysterical. I wish that we could show it. But gl- glad you brought up Ronald Reagan and all of his glory. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else you want to say before I close this out? So I know that we just spent, you know, 25 minutes arguing about, like, should this movie does this movie justify its own existence i think one thing that i want to make sure i clarify is that i I really like this movie but there's an asterisk on it it's very hard to watch i know we've explained that a little bit but go into this movie understanding that there are no feel-good moments there are no redeeming qualities of i'd say 85 percent of the characters right you you leave feeling sour 
and if you can handle that give it a watch if you can't i don't know maybe maybe pump the brakes it's it's an interesting one yeah i and this is like counterintuitive to everything we've said on this pod in the past but this is one of the rare cases i think where i would wait for this to come to apple tv yeah i told my parents the same thing like i was like look i think you'll like it maybe I just don't think that you'll be able to sit through three and a half hours of it. I think you'll have to pause it a couple times. Yeah, and like even Jake, a uh, friend of the pod, <laughs> said that he and Katrina are waiting to to watch this until it comes out on Apple because they're need they're gonna need it over like two or three nights. And right, it's a shame. Um, yeah, I'm glad you said it. I I I was afraid to drop that on on the official Blast podcast, like the biggest advocate for jumping and going to the movie theater yeah it's it's odd how oppenheimer i feel like was was so necessary to see in the movie theaters without that three or with that three hour runtime and this just feels like the runtime is the thing that holds it back the most it is kind of ironic you know the way that marty talks about going to the theater and the event of going to it did you get his did you get his little like tom cruise moment at the beginning yeah and like you can tell he's clearly reading off a teleprompter like (laughs) paramount was like damn it marty sit down tom did it you're doing it dude i was i was worried about him i was like is he like did he direct this movie (laughs) he looked lost in in that in that clip read the script martin (laughs) uh thank you for coming to the theaters uh, <laughs> i don't know um in general though just as a as kind of a big wrap up this is a very important story to be told if you don't end up seeing the movie because three and a half hours is too long i would at least encourage you to read about it um online uh some of the some of the details in the story also seem wrong from what i've read um i don't want to like go on the record saying that but um a, a f- there's just a few comments i've seen from place to place that seem like maybe there there were some incorrect things in this um i so even if you have seen the movie read up on it this is a very important story go and support indigenous directors as much as you can and go and support this movie if if you want to support scorsese i guess um (laughs) Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Blast Podcast. Be sure to check out more Blast news and content at blastmovies.net, and we'll catch you next week with another episode. 